Welcome to Trash Compactor. I'm Josh. On this, the final episode of Trash Compactor for 2022, uh, we're going to be talking about Andor Season 1, and joining me today is Mickey. Hey! And Bracy. Yellow. So, you know, in our first Andor Reaction episode, we talked about how it seemed like this was Star Wars or Star Wars grew up alongside us. Bracy, do you think the rest of the season is consistent with that that reading? And also, what are your, your overall thoughts of the show from having seen season one? Yeah, I absolutely think that it continued to grow up. In fact, in ways that I... It was so much more mature than I even thought in those in the reading of the first four episodes. It um it it grew up. Star Wars grew up and it felt it felt great. It felt it felt like uh meeting an old friend again. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed the ride. Uh Mickey, I guess I'll phrase it slightly differently. Do you still agree that that's the best way to describe what Andor is is Star Wars if Star Wars grew up? Yeah, I agree. Maybe I'll be a little, I'll throw it a little bit of loop where I agree, where it's like, if Star Wars grew up with it, or almost if in an alternate universe, this is what got made in like 2000, you know, the episode one, the prequels never came out. And instead, this was made instead, you know, um, like, because I definitely also think in terms of Tony Gilroy, this is his most like, you know, in terms of where he went from Michael Clayton on out, this is his most Michael Clayton-ish work, um, too. Like, he's kind of like, to me, I almost felt like he's kind of got a little less like as um so word I'm looking for serious or something you know he's got a little bit more genre um with this post my play and this is kind of returning to those roots um in the Star Wars universe in that way um and, and to that thing is like yeah this show is amazing um it's an amazing character study study of movements and um you know stuff and 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 ultimately to the thing that i just really appreciate it for i think more than anything it's just the the writing in terms of like the monologue you monologue it is just just amazing just like po you know it reaches it's almost kind of to a point where it's almost it's unrealistic well i mean it's star wars so who cares right but like you know it's it's like oh you know not shakespearean and that that's it's copying it but the idea that it has this kind of singular its own singular language and beats and stuff um that that it kind of like has its own feel in, in, in the language department like that. Um, and it's all the better for it. No, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. That reminds me of something that we were talking about in the first Andor Reaction pod we did, where we were talking about the use of language in the show and how it was using it in a very sophisticated way. And yeah, you know, this is certainly heightened, um, but it's not heightened in the way we are used to Star Wars being heightened. And I think it really allows for something really unique where you can tell this realistic, grounded story about revolution and movements and fighting fascism. And, you know, it really gets into the on the ground point of view of it versus I think most Star Wars, particularly the original trilogy and the prequels are really focused on the broad strokes of the people at the top of the movement. I mean, this is the people on the ground and to quote, Tony Gilroy from an interview he gave the original gangsters of the rebellion, right? And like, we forget the, the rebels in the original trilogy are the rebel alliance, the alliance to restore the Republic. And it's an alliance between all of these factions who, you know, we are seeing have different ideologies and different beliefs. They're all united in common cause in opposition to the empire and the emperor. And, you know, we're seeing the nitty gritty of how that alliance is formed. And I think, you know, some of my favorite scenes in the season were the scenes with Luthen and Saw, where you're really seeing those ideological conflicts played out, which again, I think is very true to the material reality of what goes on in real revolutionary movements and real I don't want to say leftist movements but that's what I'm thinking of I think you know revolutionary yeah. movements is more is more appropriate I, I think revolution because I mean you know it's almost like when, whenever you listen to like some history podcast or whatever they talk about the Roman factions right or whatever the the, the proles and stuff it's like you, you can't actually put that right in the perspective of leftism versus rightism you know and I, I feel like yeah you, you can probably make the same argument about Star Wars you know like there wasn't the modernist philosophy movement that then you can also say that like these like what we think of traditionally left or right is like born in within our modern world 
Um, so, you know, I, I think there's an argument. I mean, there's definitely an argument to make. And I think it's true that it's, you can see, you know, it's a leftist show. But at a certain point, maybe more a better way to think about it is a, a, a show about like, I wouldn't say it's a revolutionary. I mean, that's a whole other question is like what makes the, the work itself a revolutionary or leftist work or work about leftism or revolution, you know, which, you know, I, I think, you know, like it, Andor's on, like, you know, Andor's certainly not uh, uh, Godard with his editing style that you can also say is create is using the medium to also be revolutionary at the same time. But it's definitely about revolution, right? Um, at, at the very no, least, sure. it's definitely a show about revolution. And it's interesting what you're saying, the rebel light. That, that's one of those things you got to think about when you think of Star Wars, like, how much was that plan? You know, what, what did you actually get out of Star Wars? You go back and watch and like the rebel, the, the alliance is sort of, you know, the, whatever. And it's like, was that just something cool sounding, right? That Lucas said, no, that sounds like a cool thing. You know, and and now and now you get to play in the sandbox, but he made this cool thing. And now Tony Gore is like, oh, the the alliance to restore the, you know, that's oh, what, let's play with that. Or I guess probably Rebels did it beforehand, you know, but that it's like a, just a, a cool, like sounding thing Lucas made that now gets to become more fleshed out and everything. Um, but yeah, it's, and, but also and, like Tony Gilroy and that thing, same thing said he's a history. And that's that's what like the Russian Revolution was. There was many factions that joined the, the you know, the white, you know, like the whites and everything so it's it's that's very historically kind of accurate in that regard yeah and and for us who didn't grow up uh with the rebels uh uh tv shows and stuff like that or the the uh what's the other series the clone wars like yeah uh uh there's no reason for us to care about the star wars universe outside of the context of the movies and and what we've seen in the in the later shows but i feel like this show finally because it dives into the factions and like what's going on and like what built up the rebellion, how it was formed. It actually gives us a way to care about the world of star Wars outside of the family of the Skywalkers, which is really like, I really, I really appreciate that. Like there's depth there that I get to like dive into. No, that's a really important point. Actually. Like, you know, one of the things that people have been saying for the last few years is that the way for Star Wars to move forward is it's got to get away from Skywalkers. It's got to get away from Skywalkers. And even though this show Andor is still set in that original trilogy Imperial era, I think it's as far away from that as you can get. Like, that's why I saw this. Um, an article was suggested for me in my feed and I saw the headline is Luthen secretly a Jedi. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, like it's just like, like, I mean, I can tell you definitively, like I would bet my life that, that he's not secretly a Jedi. Like that's like, here's the thing about that. If Luthen was presented to us, like if this was a Jedi that we were following that ended up like this, that's an interesting story. But, yeah. uh, but the character of Luthen that we are presented to all of a sudden discover later that he was once a Jedi and that's like, you know, what is motivating all this or whatever would totally would totally undercut the whole thing that is being done with this character. It's not about Jedi. It's the people on the ground, the citizens who have to decide what how they're going to fight. Right. And, you know, it's really interesting. Um, someone was like, you know, uh, Luthen's past is so mysterious. Like, I wonder I wonder if we're going to learn about him. And I'm kind of like, I think we know exactly what Luthen was like. He he owns this antique shop, right? Like, I think he was an antique dealer. If, if yeah. You call me crazy. Like, I don't think it's that complicated. Like, I just yeah, think yeah. he's I just think he's a guy. He's obviously well off and he's from like, you know, the capital of the galaxy and like these highfalutin senators and whatever are his patrons. And so he obviously like hears a lot of stuff. And I think he was just like, fuck, like, am I going to let this happen? And he sees an opportunity to do something. And you know, as reflected in that famous speech that he makes in episode 10 or by now famous, like um, he made an equation and he decided to sell his soul to commit himself to this dream of a sunrise that he'll never see. Yeah, his monologue is like there is no mystery to his character. His monologue is his character. You don't need that. That's his past. That's his everything. You know, like, you know, again, if you want to talk about revolutions, like, you know, these class traders are, are, are a major key to a lot of these revolutions. You can tell that he's probably like his past before he got political. He probably still was a stubborn, you know, hard headed, refused to back down guy. That's probably maybe what makes him a great antique stealer. Right. Like going to sellers right. and being like, I'm not haggling. And, and yeah, right. And, and that that personality hits a new political reality. And he's like, I can't accept. I can't accept this. I can't accept the empire. And it's not. And it might not even be political, right? It might be personal. He's just like, I'm a, I'm a personality type that cannot accept a fascist, you know, rule. Well, Mickey, yeah, and, well, Mickey, the personal is political. 
Well, Sorry, yeah. he set me up. <laughs> couldn't, he, he couldn't knock that down. Uh, he's, he's not uh, a Jedi uh, this... until they take away season two from Tony Gilroy and give it to J.J. Abrams, and then he'll be a Jedi. Oh, no, well, God. that's exactly... That's that's exa actually, Bracey and I were saying something similar the other day. What did you say? You were talking about, like, the J.J. Abrams version of this would be... Which, I mean... I mean, by the way, I don't want to shit it on J.J. Abrams. Like, he's very good at what he does, but he does something very different from... The spectacle. J.J. does spectacle and build up to the spectacle spectacle and a release on that spectacle. And like, it's all about, I mean, I at least in my opinion, uh, uh, everything that I see that he does, uh, his mystery box, it's trying to, uh, it's trying to hit a feeling. And I feel most of the time the feeling is like mystery or spectacle, a, a, a spectacle. Now I'm thinking that Nope is like a movie against the J.J. Abrams style of making movies. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I, no, I won't say anything. I haven't, I, I don't. Let's not, yeah, um, but you but, got it's uh, amazing. Yeah, I. This is what I hear. This is what I hear. Um. Oh man, I I, I derailed my train of thought. There was something I was going sorry. to say. That I, <laughs> uh, oh, uh, it's JJ, all right. JJ JJ spectacle creating a feeling mystery box. That, yeah, no, well, it was, it see, because I would agree. My thing with JJ is I think he's less concerned, not completely disinterested, but I think he's less concerned about the substance of what the story is actually about. Not to say that yeah. he doesn't think that that's a necessary ingredient. Like, I think that there are themes and there are uh, there is an aboutness in his Star Wars movies. But I just think that they're very um, not superficial, but it's sort of not the point of the exercise. It's sort of it's sort of the excuse for the spectacle, um, yeah. whereas something like this, like Andor and and I personally would argue The Last Jedi is that there is something that they are trying to say first and foremost that yeah. that 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 Star Wars becomes a vehicle for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wait. I I got the I got the train of thought again. Uh, so okay. what I was gonna say, uh, I also saw the content of of Luthen. Um, I I saw that being like, oh, is this like he's some some Jedi? And I feel like there is a a, a tie to the people who were created because of the JJ era of Star Wars that now everybody has just been trained to look for Easter eggs and like, did you catch that? And they don't really have any, like they don't have the mental facility to like deep dive into the content. And they're just like, they're just trying to like the thing that they learn, they're trying to apply it to this, this, this new content. It just doesn't fit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've been trained to watch Star Wars in a certain way. Yeah. Right. And you know, this, show i don't think operates like any other star wars does so that actually brings me to a question that i thought about opening with it's only slightly facetious but um is this the best star wars has ever been uh bracy your thoughts <laughs> uh for me uh the answer is yeah like the answer okay. is is this is uh, uh for what i want uh, I want to see my media grow and change and start to grapple with new content and ideas and uh, uh, current themes and uh, uh, re-explore what I, what people are talking about in, in our, in the current day, but maybe in a way that like disassociates us from the things that we hold dear. And so we're, we're able to actually like, yeah, because like, it's in a slight remove because it is, at the end of the day, it is Star Wars. It is fantasy. Yeah. So you can, so you can, uh, there's like You're willing certain... to engage with it. You're more yeah. willing to engage with different perspectives because it's coming through medium that isn't, it, it's fantasy or it's, it's a little escapism. So some of yeah, the so messages. You don't, right. So you don't have your hackles up immediately the way that you would if you were talking about like real history or like, exactly. like the real world. Uh, uh, real uh, world politics. And that actually ties into something of another question I was going to ask later, which um, I think Mickey, you actually kind of already addressed was that I kept seeing like in the Twitter sphere while Andor was on various versions of the question is Andor a leftist show. And, you know, setting that aside for a second, what I found really fascinating is I had many interactions with people on Twitter. And also I would just see it of a lot of, right-leaning conservatives also latched on to this show and thought it was a reflection of their values, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, you know, the reason is, I think, in fantasy, it's very easy to use the bad guys as sort of a vessel for, for whatever you hate 
and the struggle against it as the struggle for whatever you value. So you sort of could read it on a superficial level. I think that that's like I read one take from someone that the prison on Narcana 5 represented like Soviet style communism and totalitarianism. And this was a struggle against that. And I'm like, I mean, no, but fine. I don't think that that's what that was supposed to be. But like, if if that's what you're seeing, then like, I, I don't know what to tell you. If, if you think that gulag system was bad, wait until you hear about the actual prison industry that. Not yes, Germany exactly. 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 That was like, actually how, a reply how do you think to they what made those jets, you know, like that yeah. was actually that was actually a reply. Someone replied with exactly that to that tweet. Uh, but anyway, uh, Mickey, is this the best that Star Wars has ever been? First of all, you're not going to get out of answer that question. I want to make sure as you, you know, hosting, I want to make sure you answer that question too. So let's not forget that. Um, okay. <laughs> so when I'm, yeah, when I'm done. Um, yes, no. Um, that would be my answer. My answer is, is it a better work of, a? I mean, well, okay, let's put aside movie first, even just like a work of a filmic, you know, whatever it is, you know, you want to say it is, it is better. If you even want to say on a technical level, right? But Star Wars is Star, right? Star Wars wouldn't exist if there wasn't Star Wars, A New Hope, you know, whatever. New Hope is Star Wars. So the best Star Wars can be is probably really Star Wars, because that's what Star Wars is, you know? So I, I, I think if you want to take that outside, you know, in like, just basically be like, Star Wars is this like very specific cultural piece. You're not going to absorb it on that, on that level, but it's a better, it's a, you know, better, I hate to say it, you know, overall acted, shot, during, you know, like all that stuff and written. And then, and then I think does much better. Like my main problem is I actually don't find Star Wars to be too political. You know, I think they're using more, um, like the aesthetics of poly- like past political movements as pastiche to like simplify yes. a story where where you know, uh, Andor does not. Andor is doing a specific thing and specifically talking about politics. Um. So yeah, no, it's 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 the best Star. It's of it's the best produced thing from Star Wars. Whether it's pinnacle Star Wars, you know, that's a whole other thing because Star Wars is a very, I think, specific thing. To a point, again, that's like, right, this, is, is it really Star Wars without a John Williams score? Isn't that part of Star Wars? You know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well um, and the to... music's great. I'm not saying, I'm not saying this music sucks, but I'm just saying, like, no, the music is awesome. Oh, it's so music good. Especially the so... last episode. Yeah. I oh, knew, my... I knew the moment, I knew the moment that I heard, like, uh, a kind of that rock theme and and, yeah, and Cassian yeah, yeah, was track, walking. I yeah. was like, I was like, Josh. <laughs> like I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like <laughs> Josh. Like I don't know why. I was like, I I see. I I felt like that was a moment that you would have wanted to be in 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 Star Wars. I think I think that's at the end of Episode Two. Yeah, I think so. I think, and the entire score is up on Spotify, and it's fan. It's fantastic, but. uh so Mickey, yeah, like I, I tend to agree with you. So my answer to the question is also like, you know, sort of a cop out. It's, it's like, it's like, yes and no, like this is the most well done, most affecting thing to come out of Star Wars, I think potentially ever. Um, but it's really working in a different register than Star Wars generally, or frankly, really ever has. And so to that end, something about Star Wars that is missing from this, and that's okay because it's not the foundational text for Star Wars. It's a derivative of Star Wars, but a very important element to the original Star Wars, which Mickey, like you said, is very much a pastiche of a lot of things, was that like mythic quality that is lacking from this. And I think the limits of that I think the limits of that approach with what the rest of Star Wars is, is probably the Empire Strikes Back, I think, is like the limit of what a certain idea of Star Wars in its original conception could be. And I think what Andor is, is not not Star Wars, but it certainly is doing something that no Star Wars has ever done before. So the only thing stopping me from saying that this is the best that Star Wars has ever been is number one, what you said, Mickey, like there is no Andor without Star Wars, right? Like as like a cultural artifact, it's like, you know, you can't have this without that, right? But also the other thing is, is that like, it's doing something very specific that that's not till now existed in Star Wars's wheelhouse, right? And I think that's why it's so revelatory you know i've heard people say and i don't disagree 
that this show is so good that even if it wasn't Star Wars, it would still be amazing. And that's true. But the flip side of that is it's amazing that it is in the Star Wars universe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the fact that this happened, that this got made is just absolutely like awesome, but also like a surprise. No. Yeah. I mean, not only is this a surprise, I mean, that it was even made, but also uh, the other thing I mean is that there is something to be said for using existing storytelling universes, franchises, IP, whatever, because of the existing relationship that people have with it. When you tell us story about revolution in the context of a beloved, you know, film TV franchise, you are going to hit more people in a way than you would if it was like just its own original thing. So so that's sort of what I mean. It's like there's a reason to utilize, you know, existing existing properties. And again, like just as an aside, I hate describing all these like, you know, wonderful works of art that I love as like properties or like franchises or or intellectual property. But for lack of a better word, it's like for utilizing these existing beloved franchises that have these massive audiences that allows you to do things that I think they they take on a different resonance than if you had done the same show set in some generic sci-fi space fascist yeah. setting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's more point. weight with the story. And I, yeah, I agree with that. The, I, I would say uh, uh, going back to is this be the best Star Wars like? Up until uh, Rogue One, I felt that Empire was the best Star Wars, and that was second. And like, yeah, Star Wars came first, but I would still be like, Empire was the better Star Wars. Like, it was, it was a better. Like, I understand it wouldn't exist without Star War, without the original, but still, with given the, given what it was, how it was able to affect and what it was able to uh, uh, invoke in me, evoke in me. Mm -hmm. uh, I I was like, that's just a bet. It's, it's, it's better. Like I, I, you know, I, I, and I, and then also after, after uh, watching the prequels and my, in talking to like my, my brother or, or people who are my brother's age, who's about like 10 years younger than I am. Uh, uh, they didn't even think about saying that the original star Wars was good. They were like, those are puppets. Like, you know, like mm -hmm. they couldn't, they couldn't escape into the fantasy um, because of the because of the way that it was made, which I think a lot of people would say about about things like Doctor Who, like they're like to me, Matt Smith, David Tennant, like best best Doctor Who, like you know, and it's not the original, and it wouldn't exist without the original Doctor Who. So uh, so to me, I, I I you know I don't really I don't really align with that, but I would also say uh, uh, that I think this series is going to allow Star Wars to be Star Wars again. Because what I feel like what happened since Star Wars is this uh, uh, people don't think about how rare Jedis are in the galaxy because all our whole vantage point has been through through people who are like closely related to them. But I feel like this gives us this opportunity to like grow with characters, care about characters in this world, get away from that story arc long enough that when like, like a, a couple of series series down the line, all of a sudden somebody flicks a lightsaber or somebody moves something and people are going to blow, like it'll blow their mind. They'll be like, Holy shit. Like uh, uh, somebody who, uh, uh, who can use the force. I think that, I think it will give us that opportunity to feel that again. Whereas like, I don't think anybody cares if somebody now shows up and they're like, I have the force. Like, uh, like Oh yeah. Another force user. Cool. Like, like it's not, it's not yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Um, there's definitely something that's happened within to me, like, and I haven't really watched them, but just knowing about them, what's happened is like, why are there so many Jedis after order, whatever? Like, I thought they're dead, but you keep on like the nice thing too with what this show does by not having Jedis is it also doesn't have Sith, you know, it doesn't have Darth Vader. So like, what's the what's the reality of a revolution when Vader comes, right? But the fact that no, he's he's off looking for Obi Wan. So you get right. to see the ISB do the ISB thing, which is what makes this show. Yeah, good. dude. Oh, God. Like so much of what's in this show is really pushing all my buttons. Like each sort of slice of the story, the Mon Mothma political stuff, the Luthan stuff, the ISB stuff, 
like each one of those story threads is like a show in a world that I totally buy. I'm totally invested in. There's not a single one where when they cut away to it, I'm like, oh, okay, more of this. I'm less interested in this. Like everything I was like, holy shit, like this is some good stuff. Like I think what it comes down to, you know, Mickey, is just really the writing and the attention paid to the characters the truth of the characters and the truth of the situation. And it's just, it's just masterfully constructed. It's just like a really exquisitely written show. It's just, it's, it just is. Just to your point, like there's like, I'm pissed. There's only going to be two seasons. Cause it's like, I know. I, cause it's like, how are you going to like, you only got one more season, but I want to see so much more than my mom. Like, how are you going to do the mom storyline? And her daughter, her daughter's storyline should be much, there should be much that more was, than that. That, that was incredible. Like when yeah. I, when you realize Oh my God, like what Mon Mothma, the, her sacrifice, like I think it was even in the same episode, like, you know, what have you sacrificed? Like her yeah. sacrifice, she's going to have to sacrifice her daughter to the slime ball. But then right? the thing is that they do in the last episode, that's the biggest twist. That's like, it's a line or two that you don't get. It's her daughter's into it. And like, that's a, that's a, that's two. Yeah. I want to see episodes and episodes on that. No, like, it's I, know, it's more, so, yeah, I would say up, it's probably yeah. the most online Star Wars show ever because they're literally doing like the, the downtown New York City, like hipsters become trad Catholics. Yeah, like, no, no, but that's what's so fascinating. Like to your point, uh, uh, one of you said this, but Tony Gilroy is not invested in Star Wars lore. And I, I think that's like a value neutral thing. It's like, obviously not a problem that he's not invested in Star Wars lore, but what he does do when confronted with a character like Mon Mothma, he goes to the story group and Pablo Hidalgo and is like, so what's her backstory, right? So what has been said about this character? And like, he gets whatever canon has been established. And then he sees a window to tell a story that he connects to that has some real world resonance. And he just gives the whole thing life, right? Like there's so much verisimilitude in the idea that her planet Chandrilla or whatever, that like living away from it and sort of becoming more progressive than the conservative values of her, her culture, um, like that makes sense. But then the wrinkle that her daughter growing up completely separated from that culture would then be curious about it. And as an act of rebellion to their parents would sort of reach to the old ways because it it's going against the grain of their parents. Like that is very. And, well, and doing like, so in the shadow of fascism, right? Like kind of like. Yes. That, that like they're, they're, they're tied. There has to be a, a tie between why she's getting in that and, and the. What's happening? And the other, I want to say one of my probably favorite character moments in the writing of the show that the character's not even in it, but when like the the sister asks, oh, is it the husband? And she's like, no, actually, he's he's not like an asshole on this issue. Like he's a cad, he's a jerk, but he's actually like, he's not some sort of like regressive, like. Yeah, like he doesn't give a shit about this. There's a uh, tiny moment. I, like, I love that so much for some reason. Like that kind of like exploration of his character through like one line. No, uh, the relationship between Mon and uh, Perrin, I think is mm -hmm. Perrin's yeah. name, is so devastatingly real. And it's just wild. Like, I, if you had told me that I would be this riveted by watching the tension that exists in, like, Mon Mothma's marriage from Return of the Jedi, like, I'd have been like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that doesn't make, I don't see how that could be, be possible, <laughs> but it's, like, so... Um, like a thing, I think it was in uh, the last episode where knowing that her driver was listening, she sort of threw him under the bus and like used him, made it seem like her money problems were because of his gambling was like, the show's so good. Like that's so it's great. And that one line that Mickey was kind of re referring to, I feel like it even makes that moment oh, even yeah. worse because you're like, he's he like, he's huge. Like he's human. Well, I don't know what he is, but he's, he's. <laughs> He's uh, uh, he's a uh, uh, he's a person uh, uh, that has some faults, but like all in all, it's effed up to do what she's doing. Right. Like, but like the circumstance and I think we touched on this in our first in the first cover, like the first podcast about Andor, is just like there there the circumstances change the value structure of what you're doing. Like it changes what is constitutes what constitutes bad good right wrong gray like what, what like all all those right. things 
Well, to that point, uh, the thing about Heron that's so fascinating, again, Mickey, it takes on a different resonance in the shadow of fascism. He doesn't want to to be bothered. He doesn't want to go against the grain. Like he he just wants to live his rich lifestyle and like have fun with these rich people and throw parties and like whatever. And like, fine. But in this context, when you're appeasing and going along with the horrors of the empire, like it's not neutral. Like you may not yourself be like an evil dude, but your indifference or your unwillingness to sacrifice the life you want and your comfort in the face of what's going on like that, that, that takes on a, a different moral valence in this context. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. But it's like, and like Bracey said, like, like you said, Bracey, that was a heartbreaking scene in its own way. Even though what you're saying through is Josh is this guy's like, dude, you can't be doing it. Like you're, you know, you gotta step up, but, and he's not, he, he's not good, but also he's human. And they really kind of played with that where they seem you're like, Oh, poor fucker, man. Like, <laughs> Man, to me, I feel like that's why this show is relevant because this is what we're living through. Like this is how we're framing right now our political system. We frame people as like you're on my side or you're 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 effed up, and there is like no in between. Like increasingly, people are like going to these extremes, and I feel like those moments show like kind of reflect ourselves. Like it 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 makes it to some point that we're like. No, it's not just like it's not just uh, uh, this is the right thing to do or they're on the wrong side. It's like what they're doing is not necessarily the right way to do this or like what we but it doesn't make them pure evil and worthy of being thrown under under the bus. I agree that it's more complicated and I agree that it is a tragedy, but I I wouldn't go as far to say that like the two extremes are morally equivalent. Like that's sort of all contained in Lucen, which I find such a fascinating character. Like, you know, he knows on some level, like he's a response to the hero villain cliche of like, we're not so dissimilar, you and I, you know, like that, yeah. like that sort <laughs> yeah, of a yeah, thing. Yeah. He's fully aware that he, he is doing some things that are wrong, wrong in a lot of contexts, right? Yeah. Uh, but he has made a decision that in order to be true to his values, he has to sacrifice himself. He has to become the kind of person who would do things that he finds abhorrent for the hope that what comes after him won't have to live like this. And that's why I find his speech in that episode so profound and just incredible. I mean, Stellan Skarsgård is just he's perfect in this role. Like he's, he just, he's is the tops. so he's the tops. And, 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 and it's, it's, what's amazing is that speech in so many ways is so cliche. And yet it was just so well done. Like, you know, like, what have you yeah. done? What have you done for the revolution? It's like, what did you, what have you sacrificed? And it's like, I sacrificed everything. I sacrificed yeah. everything. Like there's so many ways you could have approached that same monologue. And it was, it, on all sides, from the writing to the performance, to the staging, to just everything. It was just so pitch perfect. Yeah, because um, I also think, like, you get that sense, too, right? That, like, he also is like, here's my face. You're you're in now. You know, like, basically, like, you belong to me. Right. Because you know who I, you know, like, because, you know, that that's, like, the whole thing. Like, you're going to kill Andor because Andor's seen his face. Like, it means, like, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and, and that's, that, that's, it's the evidence, like what I'm saying, what I'm saying is I'm a bad guy, you know, like, I'm, I will do bad things now or whatever. Like I've sold my soul and just, you know, and that's kind of like proof to him. Like, don't you, you are in this now too. And like, you know, you don't have a choice because I have just proven, you know, I've basically just shown to you that I will, you know, kill you or whatever. No. Yeah. And there's a similar scene. Um, I mean, it's not a similar scene, but, but, um, there's another instance of, you know, Luthen really being real about why he's doing what he's doing. The second scene with Saw, I think in the penultimate episode, the one right before the finale, he had previously asked Saw to, to back up this other faction's attack, this other rebel leader named Krieger. And Saw initially says no. And then all of a sudden he changes his mind. And and Luthen knows that the Empire has has discovered Krieger's plan and is setting up an ambush. So while he has decided that he just has to sacrifice Krieger in order to maintain cover, because then they'll twig to the fact that they must have a mole in their ranks, he decides to tell Saw the truth. 
And there's a moment where Saw is, is understandably pissed off and he has to wonder, he even says to him, like, would you have sacrificed me? And, you know, Luthen is like, Saw, like, this is what we have to do. Like, you know this. You know this. And to Saw's credit, he does. He doesn't do the movie thing where then all of a sudden the alliance falls apart because he feels like he can't trust Luthen. And he says something like, for the greater good. And Luthen says, whatever you want to call it. And Saw's like, let's call it war. And not only is that a phenomenally, disgustingly good line, but that exchange contains the contradiction inherent in all of this. Like, let's call it war. You are killing, murdering, sacrificing in the name of goodness and peace. Like, that's an inherently perverse act. But in that exchange, that encapsulates the complexity and the messiness and the moral grayness of what you have to do in order to do the quote, right thing for the quote, greater good. Yeah. And if JJ was filming that, it wouldn't have been on that conversation. It would have been on the war. It would have been when they got attacked and they would have, and they got slaughtered. And like, and I think that's like, you know, that, that perspective, it kind of shows like what matters is, are these conversations. What matters is like these choices that are being made. And when people are choosing to be vulnerable in these moments where it, Luthen was like he 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 was clearly on his edge of like I don't know if what I've done is the right thing and I, now I'm kind of giving I'm giving it I'm giving you the chance to tell me if I've gone too far. Well, so that's really interesting because I think he he does he does think it's the right thing, but I think what he's doing in that moment is like he's showing this is what it's like. These are the choices, and it sucks. I think it sucks too. I hate this. Right. So what would you you tell me? You tell me what the right thing is. And, you know, Saw, like, he's not a stupid guy. Like, he goes along with it. He's like, you're right. Yeah. And I think it's very telling that that really awesome dogfight where Luthen's ship is caught in the tractor beam from that, that, from that Imperial ship, you know, which is like such a, a tense sequence and is so satisfying. And like, you know, Luthen, he blows his cover to escape. I don't think it's a coincidence that that happens right after he had that conversation with Saw, because I think he's pissed off that that's what he has to do. And he just wants to fight these bastards. I think he's letting loose. I think he wants to blow up some fucking spaceships in that scene, because I think the way the idea that that's what the fight has to be like, I have to make these decisions where I'm sacrificing 50 guys yeah, yeah. so that we can win. Can I also just say, like, why, why? I mean, it's like, like, I mean, it's like the Rogue One's like, why do they look so good? Why does like that space stuff that show's doing like the ships look so good compared to like a lot of CGI space stuff? And again, it's like, I, I, that was to me, that was probably one of my favorite parts of Rogue One was like, those ships felt physical. Like they just did the perfect job of, of space battles that I feel like that. Yeah. May, and maybe that's totally. why maybe some sort of some of the same creative people, but I, I was super impressed with like how that all looked. Well, yeah. So one of the things I think, um, so I know that they dig this on Rogue One. Um, and I think you can see that it's not really there in the other movies. I really think it's the lighting. They let the highlights blow out. If you look at actual footage of like the International Space Station or the space shuttle or something, what's in sunlight is super overexposed and what's not in light is very dark. And I think rather than than exposing so that it's, you know, exactly perfect, they try to recreate that limited range of exposure where like in order for you to see this ship the brights are like really bright right they're aiming for realism and 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 what i love about that is it's like they take that theme and they run it across every aspect right. of the show like the, the 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 realism and the way that i mean maybe maybe not a, a spaceship that has like lightsaber shooting out of the side of it but but like <laughs> everything else feels like very like how they handle that is very uh, realistic and as you were saying that it's like i don't I, i'm not so interested in like this uh, uh this uh jedi potential jedi connection to luthan but i am fascinated as to why he has so much like like he has some technology that it looks like that's not just a regular you know like right not everybody's walking down the street with that and i think i have a feeling that when we find out more about who he, if we find out more about who he is, it's only going to be to hate him more. We are going to hate this guy. Like he did not Maybe. profiteer. I feel, I feel like we're going to, he didn't profiteer off of, off of, uh, 
off or like get, get all this stuff uh in a way that it's just like i just feel like they're going to make his character more gray i that if, if yeah. anything yeah, I mean, maybe he had something to do with, like, the mining that destroyed Cassian's planet or something, or something along those lines. Like, I don't know, but it's like it could be something in the context of what they're setting up. Because I don't think we're going to find something that is brought outside from Star Wars lore. I think it's going to be something that they have already set up or incorporated into what they've constructed already. Like, that's just my feeling. Um, so yeah, so Cassian, I think that's possibly the first time we have mentioned his name, who's uh, the titular character of the show, which I think is fascinating. And there was a question from, I think an interview in, I think it was the Hollywood reporter. I'll, I'll have to find it, but Sean T Collins, the Sean T Collins on Twitter, he asked Diego Luna this question. He says, one of the most unusual things about the show is that, especially in the early episodes, Cassian Andor is not particularly charismatic. We're used to drama centered on the most magnetic guy in the room. And then Diego Luna says, you probably were in the room with him and never noticed. Cassian had to be that guy because this is a big show that wants to tell the story of people that big shows never cared about before. It's the only way to be honest about a revolution. Yes, there are leaders, but revolutions are not made by leaders. They're made by numbers, by conviction, by regular people thinking they can do something extraordinary. This is the story of one of those people that was never celebrated. Oh, this person is going to bring change. This person is different. No, not really. The strength of community, that's what the show is about. You cannot fall into the trap of making the charismatic, funny guy who you know from the beginning is going to find a way out. You have to think the opposite. You, you have to question, why are we supporting him? I was always saying, let's avoid movie moments as much as we can. That's great. I thought that was really fascinating because it speaks to what we were saying in that first episode and what we were saying earlier that like this show is not about the people leading a revolution. It's not about top down revolution. It's about bottom up and it's about community and solidarity and the choices that that people make. And I was really affected by the prison break episode. Um, Kino Loy played by Andy Serkis in that speech, he gives over the loudspeaker where he's telling all the prisoners to rise up and giving them instructions. Like at one point he says something along the lines of, you know, if you see someone who needs help or is confused, help them. Like the only way we get out of this is if we help each other and we go together and that's how we beat them. They're not expecting us to do this, right? Like the solidarity that he was expressing in that moment, the idea that, you know, he would take the time to say, if you see someone who needs help or is confused, stop and help them was just so moving to me. And then never mind the heartbreak that, that like, it turns out he actually, he can't go because he can't swim. Chef's kiss right there. It was beautiful. And then Castine can't help him because he's pushed by the tides of people, by the tides. No time. He, he like, had no time. He just was like, process. he would, he stopped, was he was, and he just, he got pushed, you know, the, the, you know, whatever you want to call it, like destiny just pushed him before he could go back and help him, unfortunately. No, yeah. totally. And actually, speaking to what Diego Luna just said in that interview I quoted, you know, once again, like there are people online who are like, oh, well, we never actually see what happens to Andy Serkis. He could show up. It's like he'll probably show up later. Like he could show up later, blah, blah, blah. And in my mind, I'm like, no, no, you're never going to know whether he made it out or whether he died. And Cassian is never going to know whether he made it out or whether he died, because that's the whole point of this show. It's about, as Diego Luna said, it's about all the people who were part of this revolution who, who, who get overlooked, who were forgotten, who did heroic things, who, who you're never going to know about their sacrifice. You're never going to know their names. And I think to have, I get the impulse. Like when you see a character that you love so much and you really latch onto, you want to see more of them, but the brilliance of this show. And I think that Tony Gilroy and Bo Willimon and the other writers are smart enough to know the worst thing they could do is to give more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't think we're ever going to yeah. find out what happened to the sister. Right. That That's done. No, like, that's no. Done. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm, yeah, that's the reality. Yeah. No, it's right. Yeah, that they're, exactly. They're aiming and, for. And I'm terrified he's not going to meet up with his friends that he let go at the end. Like, is that is that the theme? Like those people are like, yeah. I think they're I think they're the next band. Right. I think we're going to time jump and we're going to like they will have done stuff together and they may not all be there anymore, but um, I feel like they took a very specific, uh, 
beat to like show this is this this is the this is the remnants of what happened here. Yeah. And 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 kind of to the the point of uh, uh, Diego Luna, how the whole thing. What I love about that uh, of that quote was uh, in our first podcast, uh, uh, one of us had mentioned that uh, uh, that the uh, the town itself was being treated like a character to some extent. Like mm-hmm. and and uh, and I feel like uh, you got to see that group uh, growth, that group character growth. In the first three episodes, in the next three episodes on the heist, on the next three episodes of the prison break, and then on the final three episodes, we return back to the original town, and then also the uh, the cherry on top of that that group, like the seeing those groups interact in, and um, developing the uh, uh, the groups as a character is we get to see the inside the empire and see how they are working as a group and see how that is comparing to these other things. And I feel like yeah, it's a, no, real, it's a, it's character study on top of like characters, how character dynamics, character dynamics study. And it's just, it's just great. Yeah. No solidarity inside the empire. It's all like bureaucratic infighting and, and, and backbiting. Dog. And yeah, it's fucking, it's some bullshit. And that whatever different units, you know, saying, well, we, this is our purview and not our, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, I want to say like something I found really interesting. Um, speaking of kind of that, that not bringing the Empire supposed to come into the uh, fair next now, and then kind of the prison too is like I feel this is Star Wars at its most sci-fi in terms of like, especially if you kind of think of like maybe mid-century sci-fi, Vonnegut style, like the idea of the dying cries of an alien species as a torture device. Like to me, that's something like straight out of Vonnegut or something that that Star Wars as science fantasy, right, more than sci-fi, never really actually did stuff like that. Or again, the design of the prison, you know, like. That that's yeah, like to me no, that's like kind of like real I don't, not hard side I don't know what you kind of call that that style of like I don't know, you know like Vonnegut um and um you know the guy who wrote like you know Blade Runner you know like that style sci-fi yeah uh Philip K Dick I yeah. think it's more psychological right oh which I think is more like literary oh yeah yeah that's a literary idea right that the torture alien cries are torture devices a very literary thing to me. And they did a smart thing by you don't hear it. You don't know what it is. And that's exactly that's genius. Um, uh, because it's an idea, right? Which is sort of inherently more literary because it's something that you have to imagine. Yeah. You know, versus something cinematic. Yeah. But like, it's like, it's like little things like that, like that the show excels at that, you know, Star Wars is, is normally known for. But this show, ostensibly made by someone who has no investment in Star Wars or fantasy, like he does amazing. Um, he um he beats Star Wars at its own game. Like he makes the Empire the most horrific, like that torture scene where you don't even hear what it is, but just the idea mm-hmm. of what it is and the idea that that's what they would use this for is like so evil. It's 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 more evil than than like any scene of Emperor Palpatine in like any movie. No amount of gleeful cackling. And lightning from the fingers will ever approach the horror of that idea. Yeah. That line, right? The children cries are especially, you know, like effective. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, and it is a very sci-fi idea. Like it's so it's so mundane, but like that's a sci-fi idea, which is is really interesting. Uh, I mean, again, like you were saying, Mickey, it seems like Tony Gilroy is really experimenting with genre. And I think I heard him on an interview say, like, you know, I had no experience with sci-fi or fantasy, but he was like, I found it, it was actually kind of fun and freeing. Like you can <laughs> do things. Like he said, I learned whatever what every sci-fi writer has known for a hundred years. It's like you can you can do a lot with the freedom that it allows. And I think that he did it, you know, masterfully. Like uh, something I was really struck by was just like the detail of Marva's droid after she passes away, and Brasso is like so tender with the droid who in the star wars universe it's like the treatment of droids is either like played for humor or it's shown to like say something about a character we have seen characters in star wars treat droids like they're deserving of respect and like emotional consideration but but it's sort of superficial right it's like it's like sort of the exception whereas in this show when the droid uh b2 he doesn't want to leave marva's house and he asks him to stay with him for the night and Brasso's like, one night. <laughs> yeah. It's just like that kind of emotional depth 
from a droid in Star Wars is not something I I ever thought we would get from Star Wars. Like I just I don't know. I just never I just never thought we'd get there. It, it's heartbreaking how heartbroken the beam mo two is. It's like oh that yeah, sucks. that poor little thing. I, I think maybe there's something maybe on purposely. I don't know these like. The, the the retroactive story, you know, again, where like no droids in the bar and that was just a thing. And then you find and then that people say, oh, because what caused the biggest space war that killed, you know, billions? It was a droid army. And that's why there is this. Hatred. Yeah, I mean, that's right. a retcon thing. Yeah, totally. Right. But but then like, yeah. taking that retcon is now now it's canon or whatever. And you take it into this fair next world. You're like, well, this is a world that needs solid. This is a planet that's about solid, blue, blue collar solidarity. Right. You know, like they don't have time to hate. You know, the aliens, the humans, color, you know, all of them and droids are all they're, they're a community together because they have to be because they're, you know, like they understand this this concept of solidarity on this planet, which is why it becomes maybe this hotbed. Right. You know, I think that that's exactly right. Um, just as we wrap up here, it came out that Marva's hologram speech. Oh, the, her... the F word. the fu- Yes. Fuck. Yes, yeah. yes. She gives this amazing sort of speech, rallying cry, and it ends with, fight the Empire. Yeah. And apparently, as originally scripted, she was supposed to say, fuck the Empire. Um, and Disney wouldn't let them get away with that, which I understand. <laughs> um, uh, but I think it's really interesting. Grace and I were talking about this the other day. I totally get the instinct, and I don't think it's even a wrong instinct. But I think fight the empire is better than fuck the empire in this context. It's a litmus test, man. I think this is a litmus <laughs> test. Like this is like, like wh- how far, how far are you in what direction? Like, <laughs> well, so, so, but there are two reasons. Uh, the practical one is that fight the empire is a call to action. Like she, she is, she is trying to rally and instruct these people. And I think if she said, fuck the empire, that's like more of an emotional kind of explosion and less like a harnessing of like, now let's go do this sort of thing. Like that's my take on it. Compromise would be fuck the empire up. Okay. <laughs> fuck <Right>. them up. <laughs> yeah. I do like, and again, in weird little roles and weird little acting, I, I, uh, whoever the head of the Imperial, you know, garrison there, who's the guy there who went, Freaks out that just that freak out that he tips over the, the droid that again. No, like, yeah, because he was like, this is this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> like this oh, is going to. And, and it personally yeah. pissed him off. It, it makes you realize that he's not an opportunist. opportunist. He's not. He, he's a believer. Right. In it. And then you, you see that kind of, again, that evil or something. Right. That he's like, he can't even abide by this free freedom of speech. Right. He can't abide that. So, yeah, I, I, again, I thought that was a, a weird little just like these he, he, it's, the show is just so perfect by making every little person like character and person like have this like inner reality in that way. Oh, I, I did have one quick, quick question uh, on your read on something on the final episode. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the guy, but he exchanged hats with I'm, 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 I'm running blank with with all. The oh, names, yeah, but- right. Uh, Cyril and like his old uh, oh, lieutenant yeah. or whatever, like they're the, on. So the old lieutenant, there's a moment where he's kind of looking at Cyril when the conversation's happening. And at the very, the very last time you see him, he's like getting drunk on the steps or something like that. Or he's just yeah. sitting last. How did you read that? How did you guys read that? I read that as, you know, I don't think that that character is like, is like very self-reflective about his beliefs or why he's doing what he's doing. And I think that, um, you know, this was a clusterfuck and I think he's, he's getting drunk. I think he was like, well, that was a hell of a thing. Like, like these are the guys who you can recruit to, to buy into the cause, because I don't think that they're really thinking too much about it as long as they're, as their place is secure versus Cyril, who's a true believer. I don't know. That's my instinct. I think that 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 whole last part of that episode has seen like to me that was two of the most arresting shots were the um, radio guy who sells tickets dying, and the way they lingered on him, and then yeah that really shot of that guy. And I think it's like maybe it's just yeah. like look at the collateral damage of this, you know, like yeah. I know. mean, really, at the end of the day, I think it's like that. I think it's look at the the collateral damage. I don't know that there's anything specifically 
deep that we're meant to read into it per se, but I, I don't was, know. I wasn't thinking deep, but I do feel like this, uh, uh, the moment where he's looking when during Martha's scene and the fact that the Empire didn't just hang out there like like nobody else who was on the other side of that conflict just hung around there like they got out of that space. Like yeah. if you were if that place wasn't home, you got out of there. And I thought there was something kind of interesting that that guy kind of was like, that is where he decided to collect himself. I think there was something about that. I don't know. There's something about that. I would not be surprised if we found out into the next season uh, that he was actually part of the movement that it actually did Martha's speech actually did make one converter and that one converter it's about numbers it's about oh, that thing that like she actually touched somebody and it wasn't just speaking to her crowd but she actually reached someone right. and I, and that's what that 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 that's interesting that kind of read to me yeah because you can kind of see like he where he sat before he wasn't a stormtrooper he wasn't even imperial he was in security and now he's seen twice what happens when you try to grasp too tight on a people and what happens. And he maybe he's realized he's like this. Yeah, like you this idea of security, this idea of ultimate fascist security is like is not realistic. And this is what it causes. And maybe he maybe he's, he's having a reckoning. That's what's happening. Right. You know, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's I mean, that's a really interesting read. I want to rewatch that. and uh, maybe, maybe see some of his react like because he's with Sarah, but then he's not with Sue. Right. Like they split like something happens in that scene where he's like my guy is now not my you know like he's gone and rescued the evil woman and this guy's hanging back so yeah something happened there you know maybe so, so it feels like something just really subtle yeah but also nicely profound if they do follow through with that character mm. in some way no that's entirely possible um i would be very curious if that's a thread that they uh, that they pick up and i wouldn't put it past tony gilroy and the creators of this show because I think he said he's completely invested in the inner lives and the reality of every one of these characters. Like, that's the only way he knows how to write. So I think that um, you may very well be onto something. Um, any closing thoughts on season one of Andor? Uh, just, I'm incredibly excited to see the second season. And I know 24 episodes feels like it's not, if, if they're doing 12 again, I, I would assume just the, the, the story yeah, they structure. Are. But like, I mean, I would have, I would prefer only 24 episodes of this than 97, 112 episodes of all the other stuff out there. Like, I, you know, mm -hmm. this is, I, I think it's important to have something to say. And Tony Gilroy has something to say. And he's using this medium and this franchise and this moment in time to say it. And he's taking his time to say it well. And I really do appreciate that. I really do. Mm, well said, Mickey. Closing thoughts on Andor. Yeah, I, I want to say definitely like, yeah, as we reach the end, the things I said in the beginning, I think really proved true. I think they really stuck to the line of like, this is almost, they're using the empire to say what happens if the Nazis won sort of. Again, they, I think they dive deeper and deeper into the ideas of the Lieberstein, I believe it was called, like terraforming the world like yeah i love those two aliens and the who, their fish are now dead you know who actually helped them out that was such a beautiful and great correct character design and everything that's that felt like like i said i think we talked about this back in, in the bubba fett like oh man that was real like muppet 80s muppet you know doing like lucasfilm stuff yeah. you know type of thing um so i really enjoy that they, they they're following that thread um the care and like the and yeah the, like like you said the inner light of character stuff is making this and i would say like yeah like 24 great i think i saw he said they originally were thinking five seasons and now i am pissed we're not getting that because it would have been like the same time frame right they start they only have two years or whatever it is until that first one so you know they would have gotten deeper into some of the things you know um and so i think i think we're you know we're gonna it's gonna be remiss that maybe there's like deeper stuff we don't get but they're still within what they're doing they're doing it perfectly you know like it, it might be better because you know it's more focused and everything um so but it it you know, you know, we're just talking about Star Wars in relation to Star Wars. We haven't gotten to the idea of like this might be the best show on TV right now. I definitely think it it might be. You know, um, yeah, and it's just great. No, I think it very well could be. Uh, shout out to Maya Chupkov, who does the podcast Proud Stutter, who was a guest on this show, um, who who's not a Star Wars fan, and in uh, that interview I did with her, 
she said she was curious to check it out. And I suggested she start with Andor. And coincidentally, I saw she tweeted a couple of days ago her top 10 TV shows of 2022. And number one was Andor. So I think it, I think it worked. And, <laughs> and I think that speaks to what you just said, Mickey. I think plus or minus to Nathan for you, which is a whole different thing. I think this might be uh... <laughs> the rehearsal or do the rehearsal? That's what I meant. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm. I'm halfway through that season, so no, uh, so no spoilers, please. That's an intense show, but um, uh, yeah, I I haven't been as excited and as invested and as energized in a uh, a Star Wars story in a long time, and this is just, I mean, what a surprise and what a gift! I'm so thrilled and happy and and kind of bewildered that the show exists, and I'm really looking forward to season two. I'm also glad that. You know, they're just now shooting it, so we probably won't get it until 2024 at the earliest because, like, this was an intense watch. Like, I, it's like, it's like I can use the, the come down a little bit and sure, I'll watch, I'll watch Mando and see and, and have that <laughs> and see what that's about. Um, but, um, anyway, thanks guys for participating in the final episode of Trash Compactor for 2022. It's, it's, it's been a, it's been a hell of a year and, um, and thank you to everybody who's been on the show and who's listened to the show. And um, we will be back in 2023 with season two. And um, yeah, one way out, guys. One way out. One way out. <laughs> one way out. How do I stop this thing? <laughs> <laughs>